The FT. A prominent Istanbul prosecutor, held for hours by two leftist extremists in the city's main courthouse, was killed yesterday after Turkish special forces stormed the building in a bid to rescue him. I'm Fiona Simon, and on the line with me to discuss the incident is our Istanbul correspondent Dan Dombi. Hi, Dan. Who was the prosecutor, and what was the case that he was working on at the time of his kidnapping? The prosecutor was a man called Mehmet Selim Kiraz, and he was working on the case of a 15-year-old boy, uh, Birkin Elvan, who died last year after spending months in a coma after being hit by uh, tear gas canisters during anti-government protests in 2013. Birkin Elvan's death, because he's so young, because he wasted away so agonizingly for such a long time, has become an incredibly controversial issue here in Turkey. President Erdogan has basically um, depicted this 15-year-old boy as in league with terrorists. His family said he was just a boy trying to buy some bread. And at long last, this prosecutor, I think, was trying to find out some more about this case, summoning police to find out who shot the canisters, what the circumstances were, and so on. And then all of a sudden, yesterday, during the chaos of a uh, nationwide power cut, these two people from this banned terrorist organization made their way into the courthouse, dressed as lawyers with lawyers' robes and fake ID, held the prosecutor hostage for hours and hours, and then finally they died and he died in a shootout with special forces in the evening. So do we know, was this an opportunistic hostage-taking or was the prosecutor targeted deliberately? This was very much a deliberate targeting The death of Birkin Elvan, because the president has really gone out of his way to depict him as the very best of pawn of terrorist elements, and because the family and so many people in Turkey see him just as an innocent victim of police violence, it's been a really polarized issue. It's been a rallying call to the left, to the opposition. And also, I think we now see the far left terrorist fringe. Birkin Elvan, this boy, comes from a fairly deprived neighborhood of Istanbul. When I've been to that neighborhood, I've seen the signs of the Revolutionary People's Liberation Front daubed on walls and so on. So they do have a base of support, murderous and deluded though they may be, and even if their supporters are relatively few. It was very much a deliberate act. The tragedy is, though, is not only is this a brutal and senseless killing, but of course, Now, I guess it may be much less likely that we do actually find out the circumstances in which this boy was killed. And to many Turks who weren't sure about this case, they may be left with the entirely unjust and perhaps unfounded conclusion that Birkin Elvan was associated with terrorists. What do we know about the Revolutionary People's Liberation Party front? And who are they and what's their agenda? Well, they are a fairly murderous organisation, They were founded, I think, in 1978. They had their origins back in the 70s, which were very bitterly divided and violent years in Turkey, with right and left battling in the streets all the time. They've carried out a series of assassinations in Turkey. They were involved in an attack on the U.S. embassy at the beginning of 2013, in which a security guard died. The government has linked them in the past to Syria, like many groups who, as they are, are listed as terrorists by the EU, the US and, uh, and Turkey itself. They found refuge in Syria in the Cold War and in the years immediately after the Cold War. And there has been suggestions by the Turkish government that 
those links with the Syrian state remained and indeed may have been reactivated when Turkey emerged as a big enemy of the Syrian president Bashar al-Assad with the beginning of the Syrian war in 2011. So the Turks have suggested at times that these people are being used by the Syrians. But the thing is, is that in fact, of course, if this was Syrian statecraft, it was unbelievably stupid because what this does is probably play to uh, President Erdogan's advantage when he talks about the need to ensure that violence doesn't dominate the streets, when he talks about the importance of taking additional security measures. This murderous series of events kind of plays to his agenda. And in the run-up to elections in June this year, that's no insignificant thing. How has the government reacted to this incident? Well, it's reacted quite strongly. So, for example, the uh, Prime Minister, Ahmed Davatolu, has banned a number of news organisations from attending the funeral uh, single-handedly. He said that the respect for humanity perhaps supersedes things like freedom of the press. He's very angry, and he says he's very angry because a lot of newspapers did publish uh, a very shocking photo of the prosecutor with a gun placed to his head that the assailants put on social media. They've also said that there's going to have to be, you know, really zero tolerance of unauthorized people on the streets. They've just passed a very controversial national security bill which the opposition says is paving the way for a police state, which increases police's scope to shoot armed protesters or to detain people or to search people or to tap people and places some police under the direct command of anchor-appointed governors. So they really were pushing this public order thing. They said it's important to deal with uh, terrorism. Their opponents said that it was part of a trend towards authoritarianism. These recent events, I think, helped their narrative in a certain way. So what is the political climate like in Turkey at the moment? Has there been any lasting impact from the anti-government demonstrations of 2013 or has all the opposition died down? Turkey is going through a nervous time right now. We have these elections in June. There are a series of events going on. So, for example, another set of people tried to storm a ruling party headquarters in Istanbul today. There have been three bomb scares on Turkish Airlines planes in four days. That's three planes that have been diverted because of unfounded bomb fears after receiving some kind of warning. The Kurdish peace process is going through a very rocky patch. That, of course, is a peace process to try and end a dispute in which some 40,000 people have died over three decades. It's a jumpy time. The fear, I think, that many people have is that in a run-up to an election where Turkey is very, very polarized and has been incredibly polarized since at least those anti-government protests in 2013, if not long before. We're seeing a push by the government to increase its control through measures like this public security that I just talked about and a very febrile atmosphere in which some people are worried about conspiracies, such as the Syrian scenario where Syria was behind this. Other people are worried about provocateurs trying to inflame violence for whatever reason. It's still a relatively safe country, but it's a jumpy place right now. Okay, thanks very much, Dan. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.